into faith, that we leap out and, and into the faith that God has given us. And, and we've been talking about how God requires this of us. And um, the word audacious, you know, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a funny word. We don't use it very much. Uh, the only people I know who use it historically were skaters. And, uh, and so it's just kind of like a weird word. But I think, I think it's a profound word. I think it's a significant word. Audacious, it means one who is bold or daring, especially with confident disregard for personal comfort or conventional thought. That's a challenging idea that you and I are called to live this way. And so audacious faith is the stuff that triggers ordinary people. Ordinary people. Look around. Look around. Just look. Just look around. Look. Look. See? I love how when, when I tell you to look around, here's what you do. You're looking at me like this. <laughs> and as soon as I tell you to look around, you're like, Look around at the ordinary people sitting near you. Look at them. These are just ordinary folks. But God does something incredible in their lives. He changes us. We start living with unusual boldness. It's what causes us to start living with a confident disregard for the status quo in our lives and in the world around us. This is what audacious faith is. So throughout this series, we've been looking throughout the scriptures at Bible characters like Noah or Abraham or Gideon and Peter, people who took some pretty audacious steps of faith. But one of the things I've noticed as a pastor, I've watched it play out over many, many years, is that any time God starts a movement, a movement in our lives. He wants to move us forward, a movement in our church. Every time God starts a movement, I can tell you, I've seen it, the enemy is always right there to start his opposition. The enemy of our soul. He's there to push back. He's, he's there to try to get you discouraged. So when people, when, when, when people experience God doing something, God begins to do something in your life, when he begins to speak to you, when he get, begins to bless you, when he begins to challenge you, when God begins to raise your sights to a new level of faith, it happens every time. You, ex you can expect the enemy of your soul to try to sabotage what God is doing in your life. I'm in a, a catalyst group, and I have a bunch of guys, about eight guys who are in my group, and we've, we're in our third semester now as a catalyst group, and you can count on it every time we start. It's like every one of them gets sucker punched. Every one of them. We're, t we're seeing the, the pattern. And you know what happens when you begin to see the pattern? You can stand up to it. You can go, oh, this is just the way it is. This is turbulence from the enemy in my life. This is just something he's trying to do to discourage me because God is moving me forward. The sooner you and I figure that out, the easier it is to stand up with audacious faith. It really is true. Now let me give you the backstory of Mark 5, all right? Mark 5, there's a man by the name of Jairus. Now that's the way we say it in America. Its actual name is Iarius. I'm not going to say that again. We're going to pretty much go on ahead and use Jairus. 
Jairus needed a miracle from Jesus. He needed a miracle for his daughter because she's really sick. And so Jesus agrees to go back to Jairus' home. But on the way to Jairus' home, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, a woman who'd had a disease of blood, a problem in her body, she'd suffered from this illness, she interrupts Jesus on his way. There's a famous story about it there in Mark 5, and she requests healing for her own situation. In other words, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, and somebody cuts in line. Don't you hate it when people cut in line? It's funny, Americans are, are, are line-oriented people. You go anywhere else in the world, they just shove their way to the front. It's like, it means nothing to them. We're like, oh, we stand in line, isn't that nice? But you know what happens? People cut in line. There's a few things that really bug me, and that's one of them. The other thing is when you're trying to merge, <laughs> trying to merge onto some place, and, and people try to merge early. Right? There's a whole lane here. There's hundreds of yards. You can still go and everybody behind you can get closer and you can merge in a few moments when there's no lane left. It's called merging. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> People try to they get, to the, they get to this point and then they're like, oh, I got to turn left. I got to get in. I got to get in. I got to hurry and get in. Nobody's going to let me in. That's not true. As soon as you get to the end of the lane, people lay in. It's incredible. Okay, let's go on. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. The woman cuts in line, and it has tragic consequences. Tragic consequences. Things go from bad to worse with his daughter. We pick up the story in verse 35 of Mark. It's there in your message notes. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? If you have your pen, you ought to underline that little phrase right there. Why bother the teacher anymore? Verse 36 says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of Jesus. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. We just pause right here for a second. Let me give you some advice. Laughing at Jesus is not a good idea. <laughs> you might want to write that down somewhere. Verse 40, it says, After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithokum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Incredible story. Incredible miracle. Now look at verse 35 again. Look what it says. It's, 
They came and gave the report. They said, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? You know, the essence of audacious faith is how Jesus answered these people. What he did when they came and gave him that report. Matthew 19, 26 says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In other words, the dream that God may have placed in your heart or my heart, it's possible. It's possible in your marriage if it's falling apart. The dream he's put in your heart, it's possible in your finances, it's possible in your business. It's possible in your school. This is the voice of God to you and to me, that it's possible. But at the same time, the voice of God is saying to you, it's possible, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. At the same time, God's saying that to you, his voice is saying to you, there's another voice, and it's telling you, why bother? Why bother? It's full of cynicism. It's full of doubt. It's full of fear. Why bother? The situation is so hopeless. This is impossible. Have you ever been there? I've been there. <laughs> Think about it like this. If you're a mom or a dad, and you look at a basket full of over, overflowing laundry. <laughs> Have you ever had that? It's like, that's the terrible thing about laundry. What's the point? This basket's going to be here next week. The clothes are just going to get dirty again. Why wash them? Why bother? Yesterday we were working at Sunset Valley Elementary and we're all working and we're tearing out weeds and we're doing all this stuff and, and we're trying to make sure it's all clean and pretty and we were all kind of like, should we pull this? Is this a weed? Is this a, is this a flower? We couldn't figure it out. So we're trying to figure all this stuff out and everybody was like, eh, it, it's fine. It's going to grow back next year. <laughs> There's a sense in which you look at that and you go, well, why bother do the work anyway? It's interesting to think about that in terms of like an outreach like Sunset Valley. Like we made a deposit in that administration, in those teachers, in those parents. I don't know what God's going to do with that, but he's in the process. We get fixated on something, but he's in the process. In this story, he's walking towards Jairus' daughter, but he gets interrupted. There's a process. It may not happen exactly like you wanted to in the time frame you wanted to. Jesus is in the process. And he has something. You look at your, look at your house and you think about cleaning it. It's just going to get dirty next week. Your apartment, you're just like, oh, it's, what am I, I going to do? It's, it's just going to get dirty again. Why bother? Just live in the squalor? No. You've been thinking about losing weight? Why bother? <laughs> need to lose a few pounds, 10 pounds here, 10 pounds there. Suddenly you're like, oh, I need to lose some weight. Oh, why bother? 
you know, you should probably do something about it. But there's this sense of, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm already so far gone. I don't care anymore. It doesn't even matter. (laughs) Somebody passed me the oatmeal cream pie. This is, in a way, it's kind of funny. We laugh about these things, but these are really important issues in our lives when it comes to faith. The way that we deal with faith, the way that we deal with what's in front of us, the way we deal with the voices that are, that are speaking into our lives. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. You, you, you'd, you'd love to have a loving marriage. You believe God wants to do great things in your marriage, but it just seems like nothing is changing. It's just too far gone, so why bother? Maybe it's raising your kids. <laughs> Some of you experienced it this morning, trying to get ready for church. Your kids fight you all morning. What's the point? Why bother? Feels to you like nothing matters. Maybe it's your career. You just keep trying to, you just keep trying to take steps to get to where you want to go, and it just seems like you can't get anywhere sometimes. You're like, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't, it doesn't increase my bottom line. I, I, nobody says thank you. No, nobody treats me well. This, this, this is just pointless to try to push forward in my career. You're looking at me and you're saying, yeah, I, you, ought to, you ought to know my boss. Why bother? This isn't what we're called to as believers, as people of God. There's something that we have to embrace. Maybe for you, it's your financial situation. Some of you, you look at your finances and you're like, you think, what would it be like to be financially free? To be out of debt. To be able to be a person who is a giver because you have what you need. That voice starts getting louder and louder in your head when you can't seem to make headway and says, why bother? What's the point? You already... $22,000 in debt on your credit card. You're not even going to be able to get out. It's going to take years and years. Why even try? If you think about it, this idea is all around us. Maybe it's your own integrity today. Maybe you're, you know, you're like, why should I stay pure? Why should I stay sexually pure when it's it's going crazy? Everybody else is doing it. Why, why do I need to tell the truth when everybody else lies and gets ahead from it? Why do I need to put up with all the ridicule and backlash from trying to live a life of integrity and holiness? Why bother? For some of you, you're, you've, you're so far from God. You've, you're, your life has taken a turn you're, you're thinking, why bother to ask God to forgive me? I'm too far gone. This is, I'm a hopeless cause. I've made such a miserable mess out of things. Even God can't put my situation back together again. So you think, why bother? But see, I believe when God comes into our lives. See, I think, that, I think we, have to, we have to push back on all these things. You've got to push back with faith. So when God comes in your life and speaks, it's possible. You've got to hold on to that because the enemy is right there alongside of you yelling in your ear saying, why bother? When, you're, when we're looking at the possibility, listen, the possibility, that's what you need to hang on to and God's voice speaking into your life. I'll just tell you, when we as a church, 
when we decided to consider how God might want us to move forward as a church and decided to plant a community, a Sunday morning community in Kyle, it was, I mean, all that hard work, all that's to launch a new community, it was tough. The, you know, the facts say that nine out of 10 churches, they fail within the first three years. It's, it is something that we could have shrunk back from, but instead we said, no, I think God is in the business of the, of the impossible. With him, it is possible. When we were looking at the possibility of merging two church cultures by having Lake Travis join our family, the One Chapel Lake Travis community, and, they, and, and, and we became one church together. This is hard. This is so hard. We could have looked at it and said, oh, man, why bother? That's just too much. It's too much work. I fear that because we live in the culture that we do, we end up saying, why bother more than we end up saying, okay, let's go for it. Because... Because moving forward sometimes is difficult. Because moving forward sometimes is very tough on us. Because sometimes when we move forward, people laugh at us like they laughed at Jesus. I'm telling you, I've been there. Sometimes when I speak on Sundays, <laughs> Monday morning I'm waking up and all the loudest voices are, nobody listening. nobody's listening. You know, the stats say that 80% of what I'm going to say, you'll forget it within 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. It's true. <laughs> Those are the stats. But he, So I, sometimes that, that works on me as a pastor. I'm just being really honest here. I'm just being like vulnerable before you that there is a voice that speaks to all of us. It says, why bother? Why bother to keep going? People don't listen to you. People don't do what you ask them to do. People don't tithe. They don't forgive. They don't love. They don't. Too honest? Okay, good. So there are times when I'm asking the question, why bother? But you know what? You know what has to live in me? And you know what has to live in you? A seed of audacious faith that says, no, I'm going to believe I'm not going to let fear dominate. I'm not going to let that voice have its way. Look what, I want you to notice what Jesus does in the midst of these voices who are saying, don't bother. Look at verse 36. Check it out. It says, ignoring what they said, look at that, ignoring what they said. I think this just became my new life verse. <laughs> ignoring, ignoring what they said. Look at this. Now, as much as we want to, we can't take this scripture out of context, all right? You can't, if, you, if you want to send me an email about how the church works or give me feedback, I can't it just totally ignore it and, and, and just send you back a response that says, hey, Mark 536. <laughs> okay, young people, you can't go home to your parents and start quoting Mark, Mark 536. Right, so, Mom, I'm going to go date Jack. <laughs> Mark 5.36. Husbands, you can't use this scripture to not listen to your wife. <laughs> Honey, I'm going fishing today. Mark 5.36. <laughs> what this verse is talking about is 
the voice of doubt that is opposed to God's way, God's desire. That's the voice that Jesus ignored here. It's the voice you and I have to ignore. And then notice what Jesus says. He says, Jesus told the synagogue leader in verse 36, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Now let me help you with a strategy for the voice of doubt in your life because I know it's there and I know it's real. Here's the deal. A lot of times what, we, what makes the voice of doubt so difficult for us to deal with is that the situation is factual. It's factual. It's based on facts. And that makes it really tough sometimes. In Jairus' case, the girl was actually dead. <laughs> she was dead. She wasn't just mostly dead. It's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. She was all dead. And so for you, what makes the voice of doubt so debilitating is your child really is on drugs. The money really is low. You are lonely. These are the facts. But listen to me, because what's so important for you and me to understand is that there's a huge difference between fact and truth. Facts and truth. The fact might be that right now your child is on drugs, but the truth is that God is able to reach to the farthest ends of the earth and bring her back. Fact might be right now your money is low, your bank account is low, but the truth is that our God is a provider and he can meet all of your needs. <laughs> Don't misunderstand, maybe not all your wants, but all your needs. The fact might be right now you're lonely, but the truth is that God is a friend who sticks closer than a brother and there's a whole group of people sitting right here in this room who want to walk with you on this journey. Verse 36 again, it says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. See, Jesus ignored the facts of the situation, but then he turned to the truth of what he knew to be a deeper reality. Listen to me, this is exactly what you and I have to do. If you're going to overcome the voice of doubt in your head, you're going to have to ignore the facts sometimes. You ignore the facts and you're going to have to turn and embrace the truth. Now underline those last five words. Don't be afraid, just believe. Underline those words. Don't be afraid, just believe. Now on the surface, these words can seem pretty insensitive. Because to me, if, if your child died and I came over to your house as a pastor and said, hey, don't be afraid, just believe. I think that would be the last thing you'd want me to say to you. It feels a little trite. It feels um, insensitive. I, and I hate it when people try to hyper-spiritualize everything and, and they use spiritual cliches to deal with things, uh, with tragedies or difficulties. I, I, don't think we should, I don't think we should do that. I don't think we should just be flippant with this kind of thing. That totally bugs me. Don't be trite. But when Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe on the surface, it feels a little cold and calculated. But I, I just want you to think about this, all right? Think about how this works, all right? Now, I need, I need a, like a, a, a volunteer um, to come up. Marcus, come on. Come on. Come on, Marcus. So just stand right here. 
just stand right here with me. So um, let me illustrate it this way. Like if, if you're really struggling, if Marcus is really struggling financially, and financially he just, just doesn't know exactly what he's going to do. In fact, he comes to me and says, Pastor, I don't know if I can even buy groceries this week. And I turn to him and say, bro, it's all good. It's going to be fine. It's going to be all right. No problem. That seems a little weird, doesn't it? Just to say it like that. It's going to be fine. It's going to be good. Don't be afraid. Just believe. But think about how this changes. If he comes to me and he says, man, I'm really in trouble. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I can buy groceries this week. And I say, bro, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be good. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And I reach into my back pocket and I give him $100. Yeah, here, take it. If I give him $100, how does that change what I just said? It changes it. It changes what it means. It changes how it feels. It turns it for, to, into something else. I'm not just being kind of calloused or insensitive. I'm actually, I have something for him. And this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, don't be afraid. Just believe. All right, now give it back. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. You get to keep it. Now, here's the deal. You get to keep it. If you're in trouble financially, you keep all of it without guilt, without any shame. If you want to give some away, that's fine too. It's up to you. You can keep it or you can give it away. It's yours. Okay? All right. All right. Here's, here's the thing. Jesus said, don't be afraid only believe. He was, not, he was not saying that just to comfort him. Jesus had something in his back pocket. He was just about ready to give it to Jairus and he knew it. Listen, the reason why God can speak to your situation with certainty when it seems so uncertain, the reason God can speak into your life when the facts of your dead situation seem overwhelming, and he can say, only believe. The reason why God can look at your need and say, don't concern yourself about that and what you're gonna do tomorrow, the reason why he can say these things isn't because he's a cold, callous savior, it's because he's an all-sufficient God. It's because he's able to provide. It's because he has something coming down the pike that only he knows about. This is what living a life of faith means, is that you always believe he's doing this. That he's always ready. He's always got something in his back pocket. He's always, he has resurrection power in his back pocket. That's what he had for Jairus' daughter. Resurrection power. And then notice what happened. Verse 37, look at it. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Look at that. They laughed at him. Now I want you to think about this. If these guys laughed at Jesus, what makes you think that people won't laugh at you? What makes you think that people in your life are going to cheer you on when you start doing something great for God? The reality is, a lot of times, you're not going to have the support 
A lot of times you're just not going to have the support that you wanted from the people closest to you when you start stepping out in faith and doing something for God. Look at verse 40. Look at verse 40. Now this is the thing I want you to remember. Verse 40 says, after he put them all out. After he put them all out. Now follow me with this. Jesus in the face of criticism, in the face of doubt, in the face of death, in the face of hopelessness, makes the audacious statement, the child's not dead, the child is asleep. And people laughed at him. And so what does he do? He puts those people out. He takes them, he says, okay, well, you stay out here, we're gonna go inside. So listen, when those insecurities in your life that are keeping you from believing God, when they, when they speak to you, what do you need to do with them? You need to put them out. <laughs> when those doubts and the memories or disappointments in your mind keep you from believing the promises of Jesus Christ, what do you need to do with them? Put them out. <laughs> those excuses that keep you from obeying the voice of the Lord when he calls you to greater things, what do you need to do with them? Put them out. Those fears that rage in your mind that are confronting your faith and backing you down from believing anything can change. What do you got to do with them? You got to put them out. Those regrets of your past try to paralyze your potential for your future. What do you have to do with them? You have to put them out. Those voices of negative people who always have 101 reasons why it won't work, you got to put them out. Listen, this is exactly what we have to learn how to do to put them out, to shut the door on those voices and to believe God. In the preceding weeks, we've talked about how to shut the door. You gotta get God's words in you. You gotta get people speaking into your life who are going to build your faith, not remove it, not discourage it. You, we have to find a way to pray and interact with God and speak to him about these things and let him speak to us. We gotta get our hearts full of the scripture to get used to what his voice sounds like so that we can call on it in that moment of doubt. When that voice of doubt comes, listen, because you can't, you can't put those voices out unless you have something else going in. You gotta crowd out those voices of doubt by putting these other things in. We've talked about that in several uh, Sundays here. So the reality is when God begins to do something in your life, when he begins to speak to you and to bless you and to challenge you, when God begins to raise your sights to a new level, you can expect that the enemy is gonna try to sabotage you. He's gonna try to sabotage what God is doing in your life and you'll be inundated with thoughts and feelings of inadequacy, of fear, and the situation will start looking hopeless. And so you'll start asking the question, why bother? Some of you have gotten stuck in your spiritual life because the voices of doubt have consumed you. God started speaking to you about the possibilities of your life of your marriage, of your family, of your career, of, your, of a business venture. He started speaking to you about ministry ideas. He started speaking to you about God dreams, his dreams. But then the voice of the enemy starts ringing in your ear. Why bother? It's hopeless. He'll never change. She'll never change. The door of opportunity will never open. You'll never be able to do that. No one will support you. You'll never get ahead. These are the voices of doubt that we have to push out. We have to put them out. 
And when you listen to those voices, you become paralyzed. Why bother to have a healthy marriage? Why bother to fight for your kids? Why bother to get out of debt? Why bother to live a life of holiness and purity? Why bother to pursue those God-given dreams? Why bother to reach out to the down and out, the forgotten, the marginalized? Why reach out to my neighbor, my coworker? Why prayer walk my neighborhood? Why bother? Well, it's because we know the God of the impossible. We know that we serve a God that has something else in mind. His desires, he's, we're fighting for something that's eternal not just physical. There's a faith for what is eternal. We're fighting for something that's God's desire and plan. Why bother? It's because you and I are different than the rest of the world, and this is the difference. You have the Spirit of God in you. That's, why we, that's, that's how we ignore the facts and embrace the truth. That's why we have to put out the voices of doubt. Put out the voices of doubt in your life. Close your eyes, bow your head. I want you to come to the Lord's table. And I want you to see coming to this table as filling your life with Jesus. Jesus' broken body represented by the bread. His blood spilled out, poured out for you and for me, for healing, for forgiveness. This is what this table represents, and I want you to, as you move towards it, I want you to visualize yourself. You're moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. You're moving towards faith, and you're not doing it on your own. You're coming to the table, and you're, you're taking a, a bite. You're taking the provision of Jesus. Not your provision, but his provision. You're filling yourself with him and putting those doubts out. You're allowing his voice to speak into your life as you come to this table, and you're saying, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe anything's possible. That's what resurrection power is. That's what, that's what the, the power of the cross is, that sin can be dealt with, that healing can emerge, that there is a future and a hope. This is what we're called to be as God's people. Come, don't do it on your own. Do it by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ himself. Father, we come to this table and we thank you for Jesus himself, your son, who came to this earth to represent who you are, to give us a picture of you, and then he died on a cross in an act of love so incredible, so defiant, so amazing, so overwhelming, and then he was placed in a tomb, and that was not all. He didn't just take our sin on himself and die. He actually overcame and conquered death, hell, and the grave. Resurrection life came three days later. And Lord, we want that same resurrection life and power and faith to live in us. Would you illuminate us? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you fill us today? with your faith, faith from you. We receive it today in Jesus' name, amen. We practice open communion at one chapel, which means if you love him and you wanna serve him, even if you're moving towards him right now, you come to this table, we want you to participate with us because Jesus set this table for you and me. 
If you're uncomfortable for any reason, please don't feel pressured. Just walk through the line so that people don't have to step over you, okay? All right, let's begin to the right, each, each section, as the band leads us in.